0: Happy Easter, everyone. Thank you for joining with us today. And we just want to say welcome to the family. We talk about how we're brothers and sisters in Christ because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know, the reality is today we can't meet together corporately, but we are together in spirit because we're worshiping the one true Lord and Savior who rose from the dead. And so I want to thank you for joining in with us this morning. I pray that this service has been a blessing to you already, and I pray that it will continue to be a blessing to you. Now, one thing people might not know about me very much is that deep down inside, I always thought it would be fun to be a lawyer. There's something fascinating about law to me. The idea of laws and statutes are black and white, and they're supposed to operate properly and with justice, at least in theory. Trial law is especially fascinating to me because in our legal system, we have this idea that we get tried by a jury of our peers. When a charge is filed, we say that the judgment comes from a jury of our peers. And what we mean by that is that normal and average people should be able to look at the pieces of the evidence and come to the right reasonable conclusion as to the verdict of that case. Now, if you study law at all, what you see is that most of the time when the evidence is presented, most people come to a reasonable understanding of that conclusion. And on average, most of us would agree with the assessment of that jury. Now, obviously, there's exceptions to this. And obviously, there are crazy times when cases come forward and there are unbelievable rulings that you know divide us as people. But most of the time, when you look at trials all of us would come to a reasonable understanding or a reasonable conclusion that the jury came up with. And today, as we gather as a church in different locations... The significance of our gathering is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important event in Christendom. According to the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, then we are hopeless. We are without hope. And according to scripture, we should be pitied more than anyone else because we've put our faith in something that isn't true. So if the event of the resurrection is this important, shouldn't we be able to look at the evidence and come up with a reasonable conclusion about its probability? If Christianity comes down to the empty tomb, shouldn't we be able to look at the evidence provided and say Jesus has indeed risen from the dead? And if he did rise from the dead, what should be our response to that truth? If this is the most important truth of all time, what should be the response of you and of me today, we're going to dive into those questions and more. And I want to encourage you, if you have it, to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number seven. Matthew is our witness on the stand today, if you will. And he, he is testifying about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for our context today, Jesus has just died on the cross. And here's what the Bible says happened right after he died. Matthew ch- 27, starting in verse number 57, it says this. When it was evening there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who was a disciple of Jesus he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus and Pilate ordered that it be given to him and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut out in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb The next day, that is the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, sir, we remembered how the imposter said that while he was still alive after three days, I will rise. Therefore order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. In chapter 28, starting verse number one, here's what the scripture says. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing, white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen from the dead. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a significant sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this is the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, what we have just read is an eyewitness account of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we call this is a gospel. There are four gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of these gospels were written with firsthand account information as to the life of Jesus. And they were written with a purpose. And that purpose is to tell us about Jesus that we might believe. It's almost like a trial and the witnesses are presenting the evidence and the testimony so that you and I can weigh it and come to some conclusions. What's amazing about this passage that we just read is that the people living in Jesus's day had to do the same thing that you and I have to do today. They had the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus, but they had to come to some conclusions as to what they believed. In this passage, we see three groups of people who are all presented with the same testimony that you and I have today, and yet the, the conclusion, the, the place that they came to, the verdict that they gave were completely different. And today, my encouragement to you is this. Let's look at the evidence of the empty tomb, and let's come to the right conclusion to allow Jesus to change your life and to allow Jesus to change my life. The first thing we have to do today is we have to answer the question, is the tomb of Jesus Christ empty? Did Jesus die and did he rise again? Did he come back from the dead? That's the evidence that we need to look at. Did this event actually happen? Now, obviously, when a lot of people hear about an empty tomb, they are skeptical. And I think that that's a fair feeling. I mean, after all, people coming back from the dead is not something that happens, People don't rise under their own authority. And that's what Jesus said. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down and I have the authority to pick it up again. No one's heard of someone having the own authority over their death and their life. No one has the authority that after they die to bring themselves back from the dead. That's what makes the claims of Jesus so radically different. Now, some have dismissed the resurrection of Jesus by saying, look, he never died to begin with. This accusation says that Jesus was severely wounded on the cross, but he did not die. And I think this accusation is a stretch because the Roman government who performed this execution on Jesus were experts in death. It's well documented that they knew how to murder people in the most brutal, barbaric ways possible. And so the thought or the accusation that Jesus did not die on the cross is really unfounded because the Romans knew exactly what they were doing. So Jesus was dead, and the disciples say on the third day that he rose back to life. And Matthew is presenting this testimony. And what does the evidence suggest? Well, I want to share with you some pieces of evidence that show that Jesus did indeed come back from the dead. And the first piece of evidence I want to give you is this. Jesus's body was never found. If Jesus never rose from the dead, if he's still dead today and he was still dead in the disciples day, where was the body of Jesus? When the claim started to circulate that Jesus wasn't alive, if in fact he was actually dead, his body would have turned up. However, that's not what happened. If Jesus was not alive, where was his body? The Jews did not have Jesus's body because as soon as the disciples started to say that Jesus rose from the dead, they could have produced his body and said, no, he did not rise. We have his body. He is still dead. But that didn't happen. The Romans didn't have the body of Jesus for the same reasons as the Jews. However, they had bigger reasons not to have the body of Jesus. They would not have wanted to create a myth about a guy who claimed to be God coming back from the dead. That would have been a threat to their power, and the Roman government wanted absolute power. That wouldn't have happened. Some have suggested that the disciples stole the body of Jesus, but... This really doesn't make sense either. This was the lie that the religious leaders spread in Jesus's day. They said that the disciples stole the body of Jesus, but that accusation and that lie doesn't really make a lot of sense because there were armed guards defending and watching the tomb of Jesus. Now, if you know anything about tombs in this day, to seal the tombs was a very difficult task and it was even more difficult to remove the stone away to get inside of the tomb. There's no way the disciples could have done this with armed guards standing there. Furthermore, even if the guards did fall asleep, there's no way the disciples could have moved that stone away without waking them up. So if Jesus did not come back from the dead, where is his body? The only reasonable conclusion as to why the body of Jesus was never found is because Jesus is alive. The second piece of evidence I want to give you is this, that the Bible tells us that the first people to encounter the empty tomb were actually women. The first people to encounter the empty tomb and the resurrection of Jesus were women. Now, this doesn't mean a lot to us today because of the equality in our culture, but in the first century uh, Jerusalem, where they were, women had very little, little legal right. In fact, women had such low legal rights that many times their testimony was not even admissible into court. So if the The disciples were lying about Jesus rising from the dead. Why were their star witnesses be women? If they were fabricating this story, they would have never done that because they would want it to be believable and they would say that men had encountered Jesus first. And so the only logical explanation as to why the Bible documents women being the first ones to encounter Jesus is because women were the first ones to encounter Jesus. It has to be true. The third piece of evidence as to why Jesus rose from the dead is this, is that the spiritual view viewpoint of this day was that death was a good thing. The majority of the people in this time and in this culture believe that the flesh was bad and that death was a good thing because it, it freed you from the decay of flesh. And so the idea of Jesus coming back from the dead would have sounded ignorant to most people in that day. Why would somebody want to raise from the dead? So if the disciples were trying to deceive people, why would they fabricate this story if it wasn't true? The fourth piece of evidence that I think is very significant is the radical change in the world in that day. We know for a fact that right after the man Jesus was laid into a tomb, that his disciples very quickly started to proclaim that he rose from the dead. And there was a massive explosion of Christianity around the world. And most of the Christian teaching and beliefs comes completely into contrast with the majority of the belief of that day. It was different than what everybody else was talking about or preaching or proclaiming. Where did those ideas come from if it wasn't true? And perhaps for me, the fifth and most compelling piece of evidence as to why Jesus rose from the dead is that every disciple was tortured and murdered for their belief that Jesus was the risen savior. We know from history that the disciples were beaten and they were threatened and they were tortured all in attempts to get them to renounce their faith in Jesus Christ. But not one of them denied Jesus. Every one of them, except for the apostle John, was martyred. And most of them were brutally executed, trying to get them to renounce their faith. And that, and yet, they never wavered. If these men had not seen Jesus rise from the dead, if they had not seen the resurrected Lord, then why would they die for a fabricated lie? Let's pretend that they did lie. Let's pretend it was all made up. Why would they die for that lie? Think about that for a moment. If you were a disciple or I was a disciple and I was trying to, to say that Jesus rose from the dead, as soon as they started to threaten to beat me with a whip and crucify me like they crucified Jesus, I would have confessed that I was lying I would not have died for a lie, and I don't think that you probably would too. Maybe one or two of them would have been crazy. Maybe one or two of them thought that they saw something, but all 12 of them and many of the first followers of Jesus who say they saw the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brutally died holding on to their confession. Why would they do that if it wasn't true? Now, some have said, "Well, maybe the disciples believed Jesus was alive because they had an or alive because they had an a hallucination." However, if you study psychology, there's no such thing as a group hallucination. The evidence is overwhelming that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I think the reality that the evidence of the empty tomb is very, very valid, and I think the reality is overwhelming that Jesus did indeed come back from the dead. To use our court of law analogy, I would submit to you that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is actually more compelling than the lack of evidence that Jesus is still dead. If this was a court of law and there was a jury in here today, I think the jury would have to rule in favor that Jesus came back from the dead. Now, if the tomb is really empty and Jesus is really alive, then the question becomes, what are you going to do with that truth? What am I going to do with that truth? Now, in our eyewitness account this morning, There were three groups of people who all encountered this same evidence that you and I are encountering today, and every group reacted different. And today I want to present to you those three groups, and I want to show you how they responded. And my question is, how will you respond? Which group will you fall into? Because every single one of us are going to respond to the evidence of the empty tomb one of these three ways. The first response was that of the guards. Their response to this evidence of the empty tomb was indifference to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's amazing to me that in our account that the guards were there at the tomb when the angel showed up and rolled away the stone. And the Bible says that there was this great earthquake earthquake, and the guards became like dead men. This had to be a very, very, very dramatic experience. And it shocked the guards to their core. Most likely these men were, were fighting men, but something about this event was so dramatic that they froze in fear. Why did they do that? Because they had never experienced anything like this. And so they go back to the religious leaders and they report what happened. And the religious leaders convinced the guards to lie. And they gave them a large sum of money to do it. And what do the guards do? They take the money and run their response to the empty tomb was indifference. How could these men be indifferent to everything that they had encountered? The answer is very simple. The money spoke louder than the truth. They saw the angel ro- roll away the stone. They were there when the earthquake happened. And yet the money spoke louder than the truth. And the reality is that many people will turn away from the truth of the empty tomb because of indifference in their heart. There are other things in their life that speak louder than the truth. And my question to you is what's speaking loudest in your life? Is it the truth of the scripture? Is it the truth of the gospel message? Is it the truth of the empty tomb? Or is it something else? Is it your pleasure or your worldly happiness or your quote unquote freedom to live the way that you want? Maybe you need to take a fresh look at the evidence because if the evidence doesn't change your life It has no value to you. Some people say, well, I believe Jesus is Lord and savior, but that, that, that confession hasn't changed their life. And what that's showing us is that there's indifference to the truth and it really hasn't saved you. Don't allow indifference to be an option. The second group that responded to this news was the religious authorities and their response was rebellion. This response was worse. The religious leaders had studied the life of Jesus and they were there when he performed miracles. They, they tried to argue with him and lost every time because he presented the word to them. But at the end of the day, they still rejected him. They knew who he was. They knew his claims were true and yet they still rejected him. Why? Because if they accepted Jesus, that meant that they had to lay down their old life. If they accepted Jesus, that means they had to surrender their position of authority to Jesus. And that means that they had to give up their power and their prestige. In short, believing in Jesus and surrendering in Jesus meant that they had to die to their old way of life and to start living for them. The money that they were making through dishonest gain would be gone. The respect they have from people as the sole authority would be gone. The way of life for them would be gone. They were in power and they were not willing to surrender that power to Jesus. And they were not willing to admit that Jesus was right and they were wrong. So instead of surrendering to the truth of the empty tomb, they rebelled against it. Rebellion is a really interesting thing. The religious leaders had actually promised Jesus in Matthew 27, verse 42, while he was hanging on the cross, that if he would come down off that cross, that they would believe in him. And now, in a sense, Jesus did come off of that cross by coming back to life. And yet they still didn't believe in him. They had lied. Why? Because they had rebellion in their heart. I think it's very interesting in our narrative that the religious leaders on hearing the account of Jesus coming back from the dead did not investigate the claims themselves. Why didn't they go investigate the claims? Why didn't they go look at the evidence? And the answer is very simple, because they did not care about the truth. They only cared about their way of life. And I would encourage you today, don't make the same mistake. So many people hear the truth of the empty tomb, but they they don't think about the consequences of that truth for their own lives. And they would much rather rebel in their heart than to submit to Jesus as Lord. Because here's what submitting means. Submitting means that Jesus is Lord and we are not. Submitting means that I surrender who I am. I surrender my old way of life. I surrender my wants and my desires, my pride and my ambition. And it means I live for Jesus and him only. And unfortunately, too many people are not willing to make that sacrifice. They're not willing to surrender their position. Don't make the same mistake. The third response was that of the disciples. And their response was submission. The Bible says that when they encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ, that they worshiped him. The disciples submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior for their life. These men and women saw the truth. They saw the empty tomb. They believed the truth. They believed the empty tomb and they surrendered and they submitted to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Why did they worship when everyone else was either indifferent or rebellious? The reason why they worshiped and submitted was because the disciples understood why Jesus died and they understood why he rose again. The disciples knew that they were lost in their sin. They had they have felt the bondage of sin and death in their life for far too long. They knew that they couldn't find true happiness, true satisfaction, true peace in their life on their own. They had done everything to try to find that joy in their own life. They had done everything to try to bring peace but nothing helped. Religion didn't help. Friends didn't help. Government couldn't make it happen. But then one day in their life, they encountered Jesus and Jesus did the thing that no one else and nothing else could do. He brought them the words of life. He brought them peace. He brought them security. He brought them this inner satisfaction, this, this inner core of joy and peace that they had never experienced before. They saw his words and they saw how his words changed their life. They saw his actions back up his words, and they saw the miracles that he performed bring him the authority from the Father. The disciples knew that they were lost in their sins, and the punishment of that sin was death physical death and spiritual death in hell. That's what the disciples knew. They knew that their sins had consequences. When they compared their life to the life of Jesus, they knew they didn't measure up. They knew that there were consequences for their actions. However, they witnessed Jesus on that cross pay for their sins. They witnessed Jesus pay for their sins in the most bloody barbaric way ever imaginable by allowing his body to be whipped, to be broken and to be nailed to a cross to die. And all of this was for the forgiveness of your sins and for my sins and for their sins. When Jesus rose again, they knew that they could have true new life on earth and they could have eternal life in heaven. They believed because they understood why Jesus died and they allowed Jesus to turn their graveyard of a life into a garden. That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to have faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior and to live the way that Jesus lived. Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The confession of faith in Jesus Christ is saying, you are the Lord. What does that mean to make Jesus Lord of your life? It means you give up everything. Jesus explained it to us in Matthew 16, starting in verse number 24. He said this, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, the Bible makes it really clear that all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the punishment of that sin is death, death both on earth and an eternal death in a place called hell. Jesus came to take our place of death. Jesus came and died on that cross for you and for me. And when Jesus died, he made a way for us to be forgiven. Justice demanded our death. And Jesus satisfied justice demand on the cross. He paid our debt. How do you get in on this? How do you allow this truth to change your life? The answer is very simple. You confess Jesus. You confess Jesus. Don't we have to do something? Don't we have to try to right the wrongs of our past? No, because sin is simply saying, God, I'm living for me. I'm not living for you. I believe what I want and what I desire is right. And I don't believe your word. So when you're confessing Jesus is Lord, what you're doing is you're removing yourself off the throne of your heart. And you're saying, Jesus, you rule. I believe myself and I didn't believe you, but now I'm believing you and I'm denying myself. That's how you're saved. The thief on the cross was next to Jesus. You might be familiar with the story. If not, you can look it up. The thief was there hanging next to Jesus and he was dying. And he said, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. What happened in that moment? The thief confessed Jesus. He couldn't right the wrong of his previous life. He couldn't do anything to pay back the debts that he owed to society. But Jesus was paying that debt. And when that thief put his faith in Jesus, he was going to be with Jesus in heaven. I want to close with a simple question. What will be your response to the empty tomb? Will you be indifferent? Will you rebel? Or you will, will you res- surrender? Some of you might be thinking, okay, well, I believe the evidence, but what difference does it make? Well, Jesus tells us in our passage, he said this, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And I like how Tim Keller puts it. He says this quote, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything? He said, the issue that everything hinges on is not, do you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. And that's what makes Christianity so much different from every other religion. No other religion claims that their God came back from the dead. Maybe today you are a Christian. What should be your response Everything in your life hinges on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. What should be your response? Your response should be sanctification. We should be more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. Why? Because he's alive and he's called us to surrender to him. What should be your response as a Christian? It should be fruit of the spirit. Especially in these hard times when everybody in the world is trying to figure out what to do next with everything that's coming at us in today's culture. And specifically with this virus that's going around, we should be producing fruit of the spirit. We should be walking in faith. We should be walking in confidence. We should be walking in peace and brotherly kindness and self-control. All these things we should be doing. Why? Because Jesus is our Lord and Savior. We should have worship in our heart and we should have joy in our life. That should be our response to the empty tomb. If there's not worship in your heart and there's not joy in your life, has the resurrection of Jesus really made a difference in you? Has it really made a difference in me? We should surrender to him. But maybe you're not a Christian. What do you believe? Do you believe the evidence? And if you do believe the evidence, what should you do? The simple answer is this. You should give your life to Jesus. And you can do that right now, right where you're at. I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you are a reasonable person and you've looked at this evidence and you say, you know what? What? The evidence of the empty tomb is overwhelming. And if everything in life hinges on the empty tomb, I believe I want to make it right. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I don't want to be indifferent. I don't want to rebel against the truth. I want to surrender and submit to the truth. What do you need to do? You need to do what that passage in Romans tells us to do. You need to surrender your life to Jesus. You need to confess him with your mouth that he's Lord, and you need to believe in your heart that he rose from the dead. And when you do that, when you make that decision, the Bible says you go from death to life. Maybe you're here today and you need to make that decision. I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. I want to pray a simple prayer, maybe right where you're at in your living room. You can say this prayer right after me. And if you believe this prayer with all of your heart, the Bible says you will be saved. And so today I want to do that. And when I'm done praying for you, then I want to pray for everyone hearing my voice today, that the resurrection, the truth of the empty tomb will change our life. Let's pray. If you're here today and you say, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus. I want to encourage you to pray after me. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I need you in my life. Please forgive me of every sin. Please wash me by your blood. I know that you died and that you rose again. I believe that you're my Lord and my Savior, and I surrender my life to you. Make me your child. Help me to live for you every day. Thank you for saving me and setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want to pray for all of our brothers and sisters. Lord, we thank you that this day when we're celebrating the resurrection, Lord, that you are victorious. Lord, right now we're in our homes, and Lord, for a lot of us, that feels defeating. But God, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world or in the culture. You are our God. You are our King. And today you are reigning and you are ruling. And Lord, I pray that the truth of the empty tomb would change our hearts and our lives. Lord, I pray today that we'd have joy in our hearts. We'd have worship in our lives. Lord, that we would be sanctified. We'd be more like you today than we were yesterday, that we'd be producing fruit Lord, I pray that would be coming forth out of our life that's a testimony to every single person that we come in contact with. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for setting us free. Thank you for giving us the hope of eternity. And today, Lord, we lift you up in our homes, with our families. And Lord, we turn our eyes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.